0: Welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability Podcast. And this week I am very pleased to be introducing Frank Krika of Densu Aegis Networks. And uh he will be uh talking to about his role there, um about how he is working to help the organization inspire sustainability. Welcome Frank.
1: Thank you for having me, Adam.
0: Pleasure. So I've um, what I'd like to just start off with um, is to get a brief introduction to yourself, your role at Denso Aegis Network, and maybe a little bit about your previous career and life, and anything about your life outside work that you'd like to share.
1: Of course. I'm the Global CSR Director at Denso Aegis Network, and I've been in this role for the past six years. My entire career I've worked in the creative industries, mostly in the advertising and marketing Part of it, I started off working on corporate strategy and mergers and acquisitions. I worked for agency as well as in-house to buy and help small, medium-sized creative industries companies, and then sell them to some of the big holding groups in this space. Eventually, I ended up working for Dentsu Aegis Network, where I worked in-house in the strategy department. And since 2010, I'm the global CSR director.
0: Wow, great!
1: Outside so, of work, yeah. Outside of work, um, I keep myself occupied with a couple of things. Uh, people that know me um, will always find me at a contemporary art gallery. I collect and buy a lot of art, and I'm very into supporting emerging artists. I'm also very into opera. I'm a patron at the English National Opera, and I'm really passionate about. Opera being sung in the English language, I support that as well. And the last thing where you can find me is doing some of my own work, volunteering in school as a governor, uh, as well as with a charity called Think Forward to help um, mentoring for secondary school students into either university or work. So all of that keeps me pretty busy after work, uh, Mm -hmm. but I'm a very lucky guy in having a, a exciting and challenging job.
0: Yes, I'm sure it is, especially when because uh, uh, you're global. So you're based in London, is that correct?
1: That is correct. The uh, global HQ of the NCD network is in London, and we currently have wholly owned operations in 65 countries around the world.
0: Wow. So <clears throat> uh, just as an aside, how often do you uh, Uh, get to uh, visit any of those?
1: Um, Right now I try to make sure that my team gets to visit them rather (laughs) than me Um, but I have visited most of our locations in the last six years. I prefer now to stay at home and do the things I do after work, my commitments and let the team travel. But there is a fair bit of travel involved.
0: Right, no, fair enough, no, that sounds great. So, great stuff, okay then. So thank you for that little bit of uh, flavor of of Frank. Um, So what I'd like to start off with is really what triggered your interest in sustainability? So what's your inspiration behind all of this?
1: It's a good question, and for me personally, it actually is this desire to make the company work better and to have a positive impact on the company. I didn't study sustainability or CSR at school or university and I basically did an internal move from the finance and strategy department to the newly built sustainability and CSR department in my company. So what really appeals to me in sustainability is that ultimately the work that you're doing is to make the company better, whether it is for the people that work here uh, the people that want to work here whether it is for our clients some of the suppliers in a supply chain or if we look at um, our impact in the world both environmentally and socially what i'm really uh, inspired by is making the company uh, better and if that sounds perhaps not related to sustainability it is because it isn't as i said it was an internal move and I had to learn a lot about sustainability and CSR moving into this role. It's been very inspiring to get to know the details of this industry. Um, and I think I would probably give a very different answer to that question uh, in about 10 years from now, once I've been in this industry for a lot longer.
0: Mm, no, that's great. Because so, how long were you in uh, the creative industries before your move in the creative industries into the sustainability side of it?
1: I've worked in the creative industries industry for 11 years now and I spent the first six years working in strategy, uh, corporate development, M&A roles before moving into into CSR. So it's probably equally split right now and I think it reflects a wider trend uh, within sustainability in CSR where we see a number of people um, coming up through the ranks internally in businesses and becoming mm. active in sustainability are, rather than hiring experts in from the outside.
0: Yeah, and no, I think that's uh, it's important to uh, get that knowledge because do you feel that the, the, or particularly because you were working on the strategy and part of your role in the mergers and acquisitions was to get to know the companies I'm assuming um, did you feel that did you find have you found that quite useful in uh, your journey to kind of how you're trying to inspire sustainability for your colleagues.
1: Absolutely. There are actually two elements that I found incredibly useful. One is the in-depth knowledge of the organization before going into a CSR sustainability role. So I knew and I know how the company makes money, how it works, the corporate strategy, what it's trying to achieve, not just because I've read it in a magazine or I've had a presentation on it, but because I've worked in it for so many years. But I think the second thing is, and this is particularly important in the creative in- services industry, is having the personal connections and the relationships. Mm. I knew the CEOs of the countries. I knew the regional and global management, and I knew how to work with them, to speak their language, and to move them to do something about CSR for the first time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that sounds really great. So, with this, uh, with that kind of background, what on a, either historically or on an ongoing basis, who and/or what do you get your inspiration from?
1: I get my inspiration from two areas. Um, as I said before, my team uh, and my friends will tell you that I'm quite often to be found in museums or modern art galleries or contemporary art galleries. So Mm. number one is making sure that I carve out the time to do these things. In particular, I like doing Friday morning breakfast in a different place, uh, in a gallery or in a museum, Mm. um, just to take yourself out of the day-to-day treadmill of all the work that you have to do and to look at some art, to take a break and to really refresh your mind and get some inspiration. The second thing for me really is some of the other people um, that work in this space, my team, but also some of my peers in other companies. I really value the connections that over time I've built through industry initiatives. In our industry, it's called the Media CSR Forum, and hearing what some of my colleagues in there are doing in their companies is absolutely inspirational, and I am not afraid to say that I am very keen on making sure that I listen and learn from what they do and try those things in our company as well.
0: Yeah, great. So the uh, actually one thing that I think um, people will be familiar with uh, listening to their peers and and getting inspiration from how they're doing it. But could you tell me a little bit more about, uh, you know, when you go to a a gallery on a Friday morning, um, what is it that kind of gives you that inspiration uh, from from that, because that, that's quite a personal thing to you, and I'd just like to learn a bit more about that. Absolutely,
1: and I think for everyone there's two things to consider. Number one is the most important thing, the break from the day-to-day routine. Mm. Very easy to come in in the morning, sit down, have your tea or coffee, and there's 27 emails to respond to, there's this process, there's that request just to put that on hold for a moment, not to open that Outlook inbox Mm. and to be somewhere else is incredibly important to break that routine and those incessant demands to be somewhere else. So that's number one. And that means people can do it in many different ways. You don't have to go to a museum. You could say, okay, I'm going to a concert in the evening and I'm leaving work on time to do that Mm. or I'm going to go volunteering or I'm doing a long run in the park. It is that break from the routine. For me, however, the second thing is Um, Particularly when it comes to art, it makes me focused in a way where I can't really think about anything else. Um, This really helps me to break some of the constant um, patterns that I have in my mind, thinking about solutions, coming up with new ideas. By visiting a gallery, trying to understand somebody else's work and how they see the world and what their interpretation of the world is, that is a good challenge and a good exercise for me to take a break. Um, and to really step out of that routine and the normal patterns of thinking that you have every day in the office.
0: That's brilliant. Well, uh, you're giving me a little bit of an opportunity to uh, take a break and think about how other people think. So thank you for that. That's that's great, actually. It's a a real privilege actually to be doing these interviews because it gives me an opportunity to kind of lift the bonnet on people's minds and uh, see how they think as well. so, uh, we've been giving quite, quite a lot about, uh, obviously, yourself and how you've been going about it, but I'm really intrigued about uh, Dental uh network and its sustainability journey. Uh, so, over the last five or six years, what's uh, uh, inspired you uh, about uh, that journey?
1: It's been an incredibly inspiring journey over the last five years, And there's probably three things that stand out uh, in my mind. I think number one is, first of all, how far we've come. I remember starting uh, at the end of 2009, the beginning of 2010, and the company had done some ad hoc activities here and there and really wanted to build a coherent and comprehensive sustainability strategy. And if I think back to 2010, what we put on paper then, was it really paper or was it just a envelope or back of a napkin. Um, it's amazing to look back now and six years later and see what we have achieved. And I think the absolutely major change in that has been a cultural shift within the business. Mm. Um, I think six years ago, I had to knock on doors. I had to kick in doors to get uh, things done and to get people moving. And Now it's the other way around. People are kicking in our doors. People are knocking on our doors and saying, how can we get involved? Do we really want to... Um, Do something in our country, in our office, in our brand. How can I engage with your team? Mm. I think that's number one. Amazing how far we've come, and I can measure that by the difference in working with my internal stakeholders from six years ago to now. And that was incredibly inspirational. I think number two is I have a real privilege of working in an industry, um, marketing, advertising, communications that actually is an incredibly powerful force in society today. Um, You've got to realize that on an average day in the Western world, people see between 250 and 270 pieces of advertising. Uh, It's all around us, and it powers and fuels a huge part of the economy. Mm. Without advertising and marketing, there wouldn't be free Facebook or Twitter. There wouldn't be Snapchat or Instagram. We have a huge impact in supporting that part of the economy. But on top of that, the people that work with us, there's about 35,000 of them now, they have some brilliant minds, and they can really make a difference for a charity in terms of getting their message across, putting something on the agenda. There are some projects looking back that I thought, wow, look at the absolute mass impact we've had. For instance, what comes to mind was last September 2015, when we helped the UN launch the UN Sustainable Development Goals. When you're talking about sheer reach
0: in Mm. terms of making
1: sure that everyone knows about these goals and that they have been launched, our agencies did a pro bono project and we organized the world's biggest outdoor advertising campaign ever. Um, And together we made sure nearly two billion people around the world were exposed to those goals and know Mm. what's going on. I think the second really inspiring thing is the amazing impact that advertising and marketing can have when used for good. Um, and that's, of course, a big part of my job. We need to make sure that we use it for that purpose and that we make sure we use it better uh, in the future. So I think that's the second thing. And then, you know, in terms of the most inspirational thing over the last uh, three years has really been to see how um, the industry as a whole Um, not just Dentsu Regis Network, not just WPP or some of the other holding groups, but everyone else in the industry has come along on that journey as well. And it's much more accepted now for agencies to get involved in volunteering days, for them to contribute and working with charities, doing a pro bono campaign, so that the effect and the leadership of the big groups is slowly filtering down into all the other independent agencies in our industry. And we work in an incredible uh, fragmented industry in a very positive way. Real entrepreneurs, people can set up their own agencies and there's constant innovation going on and to see that have happened and to see how we've used technologies, especially digital technologies, to encourage that and to get everyone involved. I think that's the third most inspirational thing that I've seen happen over the last few years. We've moved away from a an approach where it's it's quite old school in terms of people being constantly, um, having to be in one place to make contribution. We now have huge virtual teams that make fantastic contributions to ongoing campaigns. Uh, And as I said, not just in our holding group, but in many of the other agencies out there as well. So it's something that's really on the agenda of the industry. So those are really the three things that I found incredibly inspirational over the last six years.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's uh, those are, those are uh, big things. And and one of the things, actually, tell me uh, a little bit more about because uh, obviously you're a big global business, uh, 65 offices, 35,000 people. Um, but also, I uh, obviously you work on on the, the national and regional and local level. So tell me a bit more about how. Uh, you feel feel those kind of all that connects, and where you feel the best impact can be through some of your some of your projects.
1: So for those people that don't know, Density Network is a huge marketing firm. We create advertising, we buy the space where the, where you can see the advertising, we measure its effectiveness. Um, there's a huge marketing machine that goes on behind the ads you see on a day-to-day basis. Um, and in particular, when you think about the projects and then you think about every country being incredibly different from a marketing point of view, I think the most interesting thing has been how do we find a balance between, between the global scale that we have and the local impact. Uh, let me draw the contrast here between some of our global clients that we work with, whether, it are, whether it's people like Philips Um, They would like to sell their products uh, in many countries around the world, and we help them with that. And whilst it might be roughly the same advertising design, obviously the language will be different. Mm. And in every single country, the people working in our local offices will determine the best place to put this advertising, really responsive to the local market. You might say that in... um, In a country like Italy, uh, there is one place to put this advertising that's much better than in a place like Brazil or South Africa or China. We are able to really tailor advertising campaigns at a really local level.
0: Mm.
1: And my main challenge was, well, how do I do that for CSR? When we started this journey six years ago, on purpose we decided we're not going to have a global charity partner. On purpose we decided we're not going to have a number of really big global initiatives that everyone needs to be part of because we are a huge, geographically huge organization that's very autonomous. And just like advertising is different country by country, we can't pretend that CSR and the, the needs, uh, the local needs are exactly the same in every country as well. Yeah. So one of the main challenges um, was in terms of doing our project is how can we create an approach where countries will decide their own priorities and make sure that they identify their own social needs or environmental needs that they want to address and give them tools to do that. And that was, in 2010, very different from what was best practice and what was recommended. Um, So we've gone down a significantly different route in terms of executing our strategy. Does that answer your question? Yeah,
0: yeah. So can you give me maybe a a little uh, real-life case study of how you've... Taken that principle and applied it, and, and you know some, uh, how that's, uh, something that can inspire people on a on a practical basis. What's actually uh, happened with your with uh, with the yours and the company's uh, connections with those charities?
1: Fair enough. Um, one thing that comes to mind is uh, the team that works in Argentina on a host of our CSR initiatives. Um, as I said. Our approach has always been within our CSR framework, every country is free to choose and support the small, medium-sized charities that they select locally. So the Argentinian team adopted a charity that works with a local neighbourhood in Buenos Aires, and they sat down with them and said, okay, well, what are the specific needs that this neighbourhood faces? Um, there are issues around young people in terms of developing different languages, the lack of recreation facilities for the children, um, you know, classes for kids and parents after school. And so we then said, okay, well, these are the locally felt needs. What can we put in place to help that? And so over the past couple of years, we've developed and built football fields. We've done football tournaments with the kids. We've done English mentoring and English classes where our people volunteer and go into the community and run those. Mm. And it has a huge direct local impact and from a central head office, it is my job to make sure that I work with that team in Argentina and make sure that they have the tools and the knowledge to execute that. I think looking now at five years later, what we've seen is that um, they eventually got really well known for some of the work that they were doing. They had an audience even with the Pope, who is an Argentinian wow. who present some of their charity work that they that they have done. Um, and recently they have moved into doing advertising campaigns to really raise awareness of some of the key issues that that affect this particular community. And I'm proud to say that they've recently won an award from an advertising point of view for that campaign that they've done for free to raise the awareness for this uh, neighborhood. So the fantastic element of it here but also the really difficult thing over here is letting go.
0: Mm.
1: What can I do from London in a global role to support the Argentinian team, mm. to have the confidence, to have the knowledge, to have a huge impact in Buenos Aires? Um, and the, really the most difficult thing that I learned over the last six years is letting go. We can't run every initiative from London we can't influence everything that happens from London because frankly we don't know what the issues are for Buenos Aires, mm. so there is a level of trust, a level of a relationship that you need to have, which takes time to develop, which need to have a really uh, high level of trust, um, and you need in the to let go and I think a lot more of my colleagues uh, could could do with learning to letting go and letting people internally come up with some of the initiatives. And have the social change makers and the entrepreneurs come forward and say, "Well, this is what we'd like to do. Can you support that?" Rather than assuming that in the CSR team we always know best.
0: Mm. No, that's brilliant. I mean, you preempted a question that I was I was going to. Uh, it was interested in, which is about uh, what have you learned over time, and that's that's okay. a key key learning. Obviously, is letting go and. And with all of this that you've uh, you've distributed it, you've looked at the small and medium-sized charities, and you've got a great case study there of uh, the Argentinian <laughs> charity that have met the Pope and won awards, etc., etc. On a, have you got evidence on a, a wider level of the value of focusing on the smaller charities um, and how that can benefit? Um, more than maybe having you could have just focused on one global charity. Um, yeah. and, and, and do you have any evidence around that?
1: In terms of the evaluation that we do with all of our projects, we've looked in-depth at the outputs and impacts of each particular local partnership and what we've done. Uh, and. We have done a number of global partnerships as well. No long-term ones, they are mm. one-offs, but we have done a, number of, thing at a glo- number of things at a global level as well. I think the key thing to distinguish here in terms of the, the impact is about uh, two things that advertising and marketing can do. One is it can play a role in doing large-scale mass awareness. Mm. So I want everyone in the world to know about the global goals. Hmm. And the second thing is uh, to make sure you achieve behavior change, Hmm. which might be, I want everyone to buy this product from Philips. And those skills, those are skills that we have in-house, but they are both um, only relevant in certain scenarios. So when I gave you the example of the work we've done for Project Everyone with the Global Goals launch, Hmm. That is about mass awareness, that you do at a global scale and you get it out as far and as wide as possible and all you need to make sure is you get it in front of people and they they will see change. So the impact there is we can see a noticeable difference in the knowledge and the awareness on the sustainable development goals amongst the world's population. When I talk about the local partnership that we have in Argentina, it is not so much the global awareness piece that is important. It is, how do we make sure that we achieve local behaviour change? How do we make sure that kids don't drop out of school, they don't get into trouble after work? How do we make sure that they are inspired by role models and pursue further studies and start working? And that work we also do internally, because that is really very much linked to the behaviour change question in advertising, making sure that people not only know something, but do something about it. Those skills work best at a very, very local level. We cannot achieve behavior change at a 2 billion people scale. You have to do that per community, per country, per city, because everyone has different motivations for changing their behavior. Mm -hmm. So when we measure those impacts, what we look at then is how have we given the charities the ongoing and sustainable communications capability to drive that behavior change to make sure that they can look beyond immediate communication and fundraising to actually making sure that this is a long-lasting and deep impact. So on both ends, we measure measure those impacts, and they're incredibly strong uh, in terms of working with these small, medium-sized charities. It has a real direct impact on what they are doing locally. But we can't and we shouldn't compare them to Mm. a massive global campaign like Global Goals. I'm not saying one is better than the other, just yeah. that in our company we've decided to focus heavily on working with small, medium-sized charities that have a real local impact and address a real locally felt need. But we have done the odd global campaign that's out there, but I think if you work for a global organization of the size of Dentsuiters Network, then one of the things you have to take into consideration is that the conditions in every country are very different and the situations and needs mm. are very different and a global partnership might not necessarily address that as well as you wanted
0: to. No, that makes a lot of sense. Fabulous, fabulous. Right, okay. So just um, last last question really, which is uh, maybe just in a, a couple of minutes, thinking about our wider society world, do you have maybe a, a concern about the future, and maybe also what inspires you about the future? Um.
1: That's a tough question. Mm. The concern I have about the future is that we, as a CSR industry, um, are rapidly moving towards a space in which we are creating our own little silo filled with our own little jargon, uh, talking to each other, even with specific um, degrees to study that. And I think if we're not careful, then we could risk up uh, being in a very interesting but very isolated space.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, ultimately, I always say to people, I'm trying to work myself out of a job to get mm-hmm. to a point where everyone does it so well that they don't need me to tell them what to do anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's my concern for the future. Uh, I understand that there's a need to professionalize. I understand that there is a um, you know, real focus. There needs to be a real focus on quality, and there's ever-increasing complexity in the CSR field, particularly on the environmental side of things. Uh, Standards, emissions trading, these things will only get more complex over time. But I think what we lose in that process is, A, the link to the business, uh, the business rationale and the way our business operates. But, two, um, we're in a very unique position that we need to influence everyone inside and outside an organization and Mm. build that throughout all the functions and divisions that you have inside. Um, And I am worried that in in other places I can see an increasing move towards that specialization Mm. and real fragmentation. And that worries me. So I would recommend to always really have a mix between internal hires and internal people in your team and some external experts to have a good mix. From an inspiration point of view, I think the rapid change around technology will give us a lot more opportunity to reinvent the way CSR is done.
0: Mm. Um,
1: Over the last couple of years, we've pioneered mostly global digital technologies to help us execute CSR, and I really hope that, um, whilst it is fun, that we are not seeing an ever increase of groups of people going out and painting the same walls in schools. Mm -hmm. How can we use technology to unlock the skills, the knowledge, the mentoring, the time, the passion of so many people that work across the world and and do that in a better way? We've taken some of the first steps here. It's by no means easy, it's by no means clear cut, but just like digital technology has revolutionized the way we approach hotels, or taxis, I'm hoping it will have a huge impact on CSR as well, and ultimately create a very engaged generation of people that is coming through the workforce now, the millennials, uh, Generation Y, Generation Z that's coming up, that will really maximise digital technology for all it's worth, and to have a really positive impact on the world.
0: Fabulous. Well, that's a, a great point, I think, to finish this podcast. So, Thank you very much, Frank. Um, You've uh, inspired me. I hope it's uh, inspired uh, our listeners. And so I just want to finish by thanking uh, Frank very much for your time and your wisdom and the communication of your experience. And um, so uh, just uh, finish off by saying thank you, Frank.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Adam, and good luck. Thank you.